OTB AM, setting you up for the day ahead. Luton is an easy is an easy name to say. This is what was just happening in the studio here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I know people who have flown into Luton. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling, it's anyone's game. Hurling, it's anyone's game. Off the ball, teaming up with the Senior Hurling Championship sponsors, Board Gosh Energy. We're uncovering stories, highlighting the positive impact that hurling is having on people's lives. For full competition details, check out boardgoshenergy.ie forward slash home forward slash BGE dash GA for more details. Interesting weekend just gone by. Despite the fact we only had one game, there's still plenty for us to talk about uh, from the Munster Senior Championship. For a third time, a Brian Lowen managed Clare team has now knocked Davy Fitzgerald out of the championship as the banner registered a fifth straight championship victory against Waterford the Dacia's poor record in the Munster round robin series continuing that was their sixth provincial defeat in a row Carlo meanwhile joined Offaly in the Joe McDonough Cup final while Down avoided the trap door on the final day sending Kildare down to the Christie ring for next year far more importantly though the time has arrived for the much anticipated hurling pod draft which will be conducted by the now Leinster minor hurling championship winning coach James Skell and also after some confusion in the week just gone by about whether he been handed an eight-year prison stretch instead he's been handed an army promotion we've got paul murphy how are we getting on lads how's it going lads i am tremendous i only noticed halfway through that intro there that he's wearing a patriots t-shirt i, I, I was coming home the house for 15 uh, years before this asking grace uh, where is that t-shirt i have to wear that t-shirt because it's got, it's got the biggest logo of them all i have to wear I actually it. i actually have an aaron Rodgers green bay top somewhere i don't know and i'm going looking for it now because it'll be all be all evening trying to find it so here, here, aaron Rodgers green bay right uh, let's test your knowledge. Do you know which team he's gone to know? Not a fucking clue. Really? Gone to know? Yeah, I don't know who he's gone to know. He's gone, he he gone to the Jets, where oh, veteran he? veteran quarterbacks go to earn a lot of money. Yeah. Ah. The thing is, Murph, that just tells me, right, that you actually have no interest in NFL whatsoever. So I haven't watched NFL closely, I say, in about three years. I, I got into it for a good while. Now, I can't say I'm to the level. Owen Murphy and Jackie Turrell will talk NFL to you all day long. Like, and fanatical about it, so... You can give them a shout now if you want to exhaust the conversation no, with them. The times I've been on Twitter there and I see Murphy going on about the Ravens and I don't like the Ravens. So. Oh, yeah, he's a Ravens fan and Jackie's yeah. Dallas Cowboys. Jackie's Dallas, yeah, however he landed there. And I kind of went, like, we, we, we picked teams years ago. I picked the Pittsburgh Steelers just because I watched America's game oh, and I, I liked the 2000, I think it was 2006 when they won, was it 2006 when the Super Bowl? Troy Polamalu and all that. Uh, then I was like, why did I pick a team that are black and amber? My club is black and amber. Kilkenny, I was like, surely you could just go for the 49ers. Actually, Tommy Welch is 49ers, so there's another one. He's, yeah. uh, I think he's with, he enjoys the romance of it though. So. This is that the Kilkenny dressing room loved NFL by the sounds of it. Yeah, there was yeah, there was lots kind of got into it. We went to America a few times as well, so like uh, we got a few games in. Like we went to my who went myself, Owen Murphy, Jackie, and Matt Root went to New York Giants game back in 2012. Um, we were at the San Diego, or we were in San Diego for the Chargers last game in San Diego as well. So uh, yeah, we've got to we've got to a few games. So that's kind of had an interest then, you know. That's not bad. Skell, why did you support the Patriots then, Brady? Um, no, all my, all my why, did you, why did you pick the all-winning Patriots as your <laughs> so if you weren't for England let me answer right all my family are from Boston all my dad you told me you, t- you said you were French two weeks my ago dad's like, no, my dad's like they're all in Boston my dad's like all in Boston uh, since the early uh, the early 60s there's like six okay. months seven months there Fair so I've been out there since I was what maybe seven or eight 
Okay. Um, so I was in, like, before Gillette Stadium in Foxborough was there, I was in the Patriots place. Uh, and then Brady came along. So that was, uh, just have to coincide with my support. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm. What we deserve anyway. <laughs> like, <laughs> you're unreal, yeah. Yeah. And made, so my uncle's in have season tickets, so I go over there. I try to get a game every year. So I've probably been to about maybe, I don't know, 15 games. I don't know how many games. Loads of games. All home games, actually. I've never been to an away game. No, no one tends to go to away games, though. It's like it's no, you are almost all home support, really. Yeah. Out of novelty, you'd be going to an away game, I presume. Yeah, but also you want to pick one. So I don't want to just go to a dome for the crack. Like I want to go to a, a, a home game where it's like intense. So Johnny yeah. Coleman is a big Chiefs fan. Um, because his wife's family are, are all Kansas as well. So I was saying, Chiefs Arrowhead would be a right place to go if you're a Patriots fan because they fucking hate them. So I, that's why I'd land in big Patriots jersey. I'd love to be in the middle of them. <laughs> 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 it's this Irish guy, yeah. Wish <laughs> <laughs> you had seen me on Twitter in one of these videos where Patriots fan and Chiefs fans are fighting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you don't go to Arrowhead, I strongly recommend, Scal, go to the Buffalo Bills, who, again, also don't particularly like the Patriots. And no, they don't, yeah. Just they're you, could have a, you could have a lot of fun with their crazy fans before the game starts. Yeah, I will literally give you a camera. Tables. Yeah, jumping on tables. But see, they're losers. Just mean, they're <laughs> absolute losers like Buffalo Bills. You know what I mean? So, whereas at least the Chiefs are winning. And Mahomes is last. So, yeah. And they've got the second best tight end of all time in Kelsey. Patriots had the first so. I never thought the hurling pod would kind of very very slowly and gradually turn into an NFL pod but that's the same yeah. <laughs> the same as an NFL pod more potential <laughs> I only asked you about your t-shirt yeah. <laughs> you started talking about arguing with lads in Kansas and stuff so <laughs> was there a game on the weekend as there was there was yeah no, will we get into that so um, so Waterford outed the championship Paul uh, very disappointing again I think reasonably limp performance not helped by after Caleb Lyons went off particularly the game went in Clare's favour but I think they were on top even before that happened in the end they come through Clare by 222 to 16 points and I don't know you take up where it went wrong for Waterford I watched the Waterford team hit 12 wides and so often when they hit those 12 wides in the first half there was no player further forward I think the way they were set up was pretty key to why they lost it absolutely was yeah like I wrote down there was so much to try and pick apart in I suppose in a negative way but you know I wrote down three things about just looking at Waterford what they looked like and they looked frustrated they looked like they had no belief and no confidence like just there was there was flare ups of different things in the matches where you just saw lads maybe dropping their heads lads getting narky lads giving out to the referee a few different things like that but I thought one of the big telling points uh, was just after Caleb Lyons got sent off um, if you watch the next you know, minute after that. It was just symptomatic of Waterford's performance. Tony Kelly scores a point and straight away from the puck out, Waterford run outside their own 45 and just pile up the pitch. But they still end up almost getting the ball turned over in their own 21 with a sharp puck out. Puck out goes to Jack Fagan. Jack Fagan pops it back to Billy Nolan. He passes out to the wing and then a shot from 100 yards that goes wide. And like that must have absolutely killed their confidence. Um, and... Like, there's so many parts of it. For, for all the times that Waterford were doing whatever this tactic is of running out of their 45 and piling it up, there's absolutely no players down the far end. So, like, they seem to just run into the midfield area. I, I, I can't make sense of it. I know, I know their forward line go very deep and try to come running out, <clears throat> but it was still the player defenders that were coming running out and winning the ball. So, it, I, I'd find it hard as a player how you'd have confidence playing like that when you're just trying to get a foothold in the game 
but you're probably very confused as to what are we doing? What's our tactic? I know for lots of teams that I would have played with, you might have this very basic rule that if the opposition team scores a goal or scores maybe two or three points in a row, go back. everybody go back into your positions. We're going long with the puck out just to steady the ship again. Going long, lads get up there and compete. And it's almost like a reset for the brain that like, right lads, hang on here for a second. We're after giving up a few scores here. But like I said, when Caleb Lines was sent off, Watford needed to steady the ship and they just didn't. And that was the point because realistically, there was only a puck of the ball in between them between up till then. And you could just see the confidence then draining out of Watford where Clare knew what they were at. Clare weren't perfect either by any means. They had a good few handling errors. But I just believe that at least Clare knew what they were trying to do. They knew what they were at. They had a bit of confidence. They were going forward, striking the ball. But like you said, Will, you know, some of the shots that were going wide, you were looking inside saying, well, there wasn't even really much of an option inside. So it's just, if I was a Watford supporter, I'd be so disappointed that there, there's not even much you can cling to here to say, you know, there wasn't much in it or we had a chance. It's, it's, it's very far from where it should be. Do you know the one that really caught this out for me, Paul, was at one point, Stephen Bennett takes the ball in what's effectively the left wing forward position. He's out near the sideline. He looks to try and find anyone that he can pass the ball to, but there's no one there to recycle possession. And in the end, he actually played for a sideline because there was nobody in front of him and there was another occasion over on the far side I think it was also towards the end of the first half where Desi Hutchinson played a very clever pass down the line but again this party is thinking why is Desi Hutchinson 50 metres from goal trying to play a ball over the top for someone else to run into yeah, exactly. And and you saw it in the second half where they put him back in corner forward, Desi Hutchinson. Ball goes in, into the hand. In the first 20 seconds of the ball being thrown in, pops it over the bar. But I think the next ball he picked up was on his own 65, as in like, you know, near his own centre-back position. I think he was maybe fouled in that position then. But I straight away, I was just going... We're just after seeing what happens when you put Desi Hutchinson up corner forward. We're looking for points. We're looking for goals here, looking for something. And yet, whatever the system is you find them being dragged back out the pitch. Um, and yeah, it's just, there's so many things that are just baffling there. And I think for the likes of Desi Hutchinson, these players, they're playing in roles that maybe it's just not exploiting their real talents and their, you know, their real potential. And that is killing their own confidence then. Um, but it's just, look, it's tough times. It's tough times for Watford. Um, you know, when you, see, when you look at the rest of the table, you know, you have teams there who've either, you know, won two or every team has won one and drawn and, you know, you're in, you're there and thereabouts. But when you see them with like, you know, I was looking at the scores even as well, you know, conceding three goals and like no goals for them in the championship so far with three games played. Whereas all the other teams you're actually looking at are going, okay, well, they're, they're shooting the lights out, but they're conceding and you can pick stuff apart. But Watford, 53 points on the board after three games. Like that's just, you know, it, it just, it just, it doesn't make for good reading. Yeah, and again, the return for the full game here is seven points in play, which is not going to win you any games. Uh, Skell, explain to me this puck-out strategy then. What is this overloading around the 45 all about? Um, It goes against everything that I I understand, that I I know. So after about 40 minutes yesterday, I just stopped actually assessing the game. I stopped taking numbers. I stopped actually analysing possessions and scores. And I started looking at just Watford. And I said, right, show me something, Watford. Show me what you're trying to do so I can understand maybe a bit of logic behind it. So generally teams, when, when you see any team at all, they have principles to play. You know what I mean? So a principle to play is just, just is a, it's a fundamental element that a team are trying to implement in their, in their play. So that could be a specific defending structure. That could be a specific, up, you know, puck out or like Murphy said, if they concede a number of scores or whatever. And then when you've got your principles, you develop tactics around it, you know, to kind of complement those principles, right? I couldn't actually pinpoint what the principle play for Waterford was. I couldn't. 
because normally what you try to do is you try to minimize space at the back and you create it up front. So like if you have deep line wing forwards, deep line midfielders, that'll minimize space at the back, but it'll also create space for runners to go up front. Then I was looking at the puck out and say, right, maybe they're trying to hit it long, hope for a break, and they have overwhelming numbers going through. So then one a puck cut happens, they win a break, and next thing, I can't remember who got it, uh, the centre halfback yesterday, I forget his name, excuse me. He gets it on the wing, but he hit, he then hits a straight line pass to a straight line runner on the wing. I think it's to Ozzy Gleeson. Ozzy Gleeson gets the ball, turns, he looks in, there's no inside forward at all. So no inside forward. So he ultimately has to carry it down the line, and that's the shot he hit in the 33rd minute inside the 14. So that that thing, yeah, that yeah. passage play proves two things. Number one, the system is broken. Number two, the personnel don't know how to utilize it or how to use it. And, and number three, it saps energy out of them. So that that's what I was occurring through, through the whole game. So then you're on about Murphy's on about shots there, like I'm playing. So they, I, I heard the manager say that they had 23 shots in the first half. Three of those resulted in points from play, just three. So that's that's a, a horrific possession. So the system they have in place again, just some more numbers overall. They've only got 11 players that have scored in the championship so far. Of those, four of them are non-starters. Only four players have scored in every game. That's including the free taker. So all those numbers, they all accumulate to say. You know, that's how analysis can actually tell you a pattern. So when you say 23 shots in the game in the first half, that's how sometimes analysis can actually distort figures. You know what I mean? Yeah. Them shots were coming from hundreds there, <clears throat> out the wing, over the shoulder. They were all levels of ridiculousness. So the, the, the Watford game plan had no logic to it whatsoever. How can you adopt a system against, actually specifically, against a team with as much pace? Probably probably the most pace in the country is what Clare have. Mm-hmm. When you consider they have the midfield they have, they have four they have. So then you adopt a strategy that you poke the ball down when you've only got two backs inside your, your own half and then you leave Tony Kelly and Ian Galvin and these guys inside two on two. That is absolutely criminal. No logic. And I can't, I can't there's, there's no world where I think of a player like, let's say, an experienced player like Ty DeBurke or, or Isaac Leeson that would have looked at this system, looked at these tactics, heard them in, in, in training and go, yeah, I believe that. Can't. I can't. The first thing's first. When a manager introduces a game plan or a principle play, he has to convince the players this is the way forward. This is how we're going to win. Not alone compete, but win. And so for Watford coming from such an abysmal year last year, uh, after a good start, mind you, we're in the league, coming forward, I thought, as we said last, probably two months ago, we thought that they'd return to basics, press the reset button and go again because they have quality. Whereas I think the management assumed Watford at a certain level and trying to overload them with information, tactics, fucking circus if you ask me because you look at the way they played lads it was an absolute circus it was clowns running the show right and like then like you said more after Callum Lyons got sent off which was a justified sending off and the reason I think it was is because I think the tactics and the way Waterford played actually led into Callum Lyons doing that desperation tackle he no cover that's the kind of ball and I guarantee you know about the night you you're going for that ball you know I'm not going to get there but I'm going to dive and try and he does yeah, yeah. Follows him. it's the yellow card he's off it's a desperation tackle because he no cover behind him so all those things point towards... I know people will blame players and they, look, a bit of blame, blame has to go on to them also because they did... They dropped tools, lads. The body language gave up. You can't just have 11 scores throughout the whole championship. They're averaging, would you believe, nine points from play in the, in the championship this year so far. That's... That's you know, at a level that we've never seen in senior inter team operated before. You know, I, I'd actually... I'd love to assess, and this is with the great respect now, Westmead, the Rantrum, what's their score scoring from, from play so far? And I bet, I bet you it's higher than the Waterfords. So I'll probably give you a long-winded answer there now, Will. <laughs> but overall, I'm painting a picture as to where water are at. And, and like for me, where do I think water should, what should they do? Waterford should get someone in-house in their own county, start to fresh, and go from there. 
they should cut, they should draw a line in the sand and say, right, this 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 circus is over. Right, we need to go back to basics, bring back our own people, and start again. That's where Waterford should go. If you ask me. Right, well, Paul, if you look at the reset, right, or the idea that Waterford are going to change their tactics. I think everyone up and down the country was wondering what's going on with Hutchinson being out as deep as he is. But you look at, say, someone like Jack Fagan, who seemed to be moved for very specialist reasons last year. The idea was to probably get someone to break ball within the half-back line. But yet, this is a guy who two or three years ago was a fantastic player to have in your forward line mm-hmm. to win you some possession. He was almost a guy you could put ball up to him, would make it stick, and then he would get it off to someone else. Surely, if you look at the way they've been playing towards the end of the league and now into the championship, why would there not be a temptation to put Fagan back up the pitch again? Yeah, I I don't know. Like I mean, it's it seems like it's kind of arranging the deck chairs in the Titanic. Like I mean, it, you could they could do something for you, but it's like, is it the biggest issue that they have? Like I mean, it's, it's not to be you know, it's not to be blasé about it. But when I looked at one stage during the game, uh, okay, again I watched it on telly, but the, the the commentator said that after one of the puckouts, that. Billy Nolan was marking Peter Duggan. I couldn't see it down the other end of the pitch, but Watford had committed so many players forward that he was now marking who, you know, Duggan was, was kind of around wing forward. He must have been full forward at this stage. Like, I've never heard of that before, where a goalkeeper was out marking an outfield player. Like, in the off chance that the ball turned around, someone lamped a ball in on top. What was meant to happen there in that situation? And I think he can nitpick at small things and say, like, well, if, if, if Jack Fagan... Like, Jack Fagan's not a miracle worker. He can't. He's an incredible player. And when he played against us in 2020 up in Crow Park, he was outstanding and really was one of the players that brought it to us that night and, and turned it around after half time for Waterford. He is an outstanding player, but I don't think he can drive in the, in what's being presented. Like, he could put him up half forward, but what's he going to do, you know? Because lots of things that I saw with Waterford at the weekend was... Players taking the ball, you know, they weren't ready. The, the, the pass that was coming for them, they weren't expecting it. There was no sort of understanding between the players as to what was happening on the pitch in terms of, you know, Jack Fagan gets the ball going back, he's running up the line and runners start coming open for him off the shoulder or whatever. We see it, every other team is doing it. We saw players taking the ball standing. We saw passes being sloppy, popped up in the air. Players getting the ball, kind of turning back, not really having much thought as to where are we going here? There was no pattern to what they were doing. So you can put the best player in the country into that process, but if if they can't understand what the next ball is going to be or what the pattern, what the attacking style is, it's very hard to thrive. So I absolutely understand the point. He, um, it, it would have warranted a change for Watford to maybe push Jack Fagan up. I think a lot of people would have wanted to see that. But look, Watford already have great players up there. You know, they have their Austin Gleasons. Like, I mean, Patrick Hearn's on the bench. He was a player, you know, back a good few years ago that was being tipped as, you know, could be a hurler of the year. Um, you know, Jamie Barnes, Desi Hutchinson's. They have excellent players all over the pitch and players they've pushed into these positions and it hasn't worked for them either. So for me, I agree with Skettle. It's the, it's, it's the, the system that they have. It's just, it seems to me now, and again, this is speaking completely from the outside, just seeing from things that were happening before the game in terms of these, I suppose, maybe pre-match rituals or pre-match, whatever you want to call it, things. Um, absolutely. I understand teams do certain things and if you're winning, nobody questions them. But when, you know, I was looking at their system and they, they were doing some sort of a bowing thing. I don't know what it was. I think it could be like this three deep breaths someone was saying. It could be one thing or whatever else. But it seems to be like they've just implemented loads of small different things all over and it's all scattered out and none of it is really cohesive or none of it really works all hand in hand. And it's just a bit muddled for the players. And I think the players are going, we don't really know what we're about. We're being told loads of good stuff and that we're brilliant lads and, you know, we're going to work hard. But work hard for what? Like, what are we working hard for? We, we 
that's just the impression that it gives and like I've, not to say I've been there as a player but you've been there at times where you know you're trying you're reaching for that confidence and maybe you don't have the confidence at the time and all you want there is a solid plan that you can get your head around and say right well now if I work hard it's it's my fault you know if, if things don't work out it's my fault but at the moment I don't think the Watford players even know what the problem is because um, like they started the game really strong and I know we're, we're, we're pulling apart loads of things they actually started with a load of aggression like Prunty went up and won a, won a free and he got up and he was fist pumping like Caleb Lyons in fairness to him he was he was picked up a good few ball in the first few minutes and they were trying they were going taking it to him but then once the first little bit of you know lack of confidence kicked in it completely and that, that to me says that it's kind of built on sand the foundation of what they're trying to do they don't really believe it themselves that at the first bit of, I suppose, pushback that Claire were going to kick on, they collapsed. And that's because I don't know if they really believe what they're doing. Uh, and again, I, that's not, I don't know, is it back on the water for players? A little bit is, like Skell said, yeah, they have to take it. But also, what are they being given is really the, the big question I'd have. Skell, if they had won, we probably wouldn't be talking about this warm-up technique at all. But I asked both of you, and neither of you have ever seen this happen before, whatever this was, this dipping up and down in unison two or three times before the game started. What was it about? No, I had no idea. I, I was trying to look at it and say, is there anything I can actually draw a close comparison? And the only thing I could think of from a personal level is we, we used to play rugby games and you go into a huddle before the game and you kind of squeeze each other for a bit of aggression. You know what I mean? And you, that was kind of tailored to suit the game that was about to beginning with regard to start. Whereas here, I'm, I'm, it must be... It has to be a breathing technique, as Murph said. It has to be something that where they're, they're pressing a reset, they're kind of getting ready to, ready for battle, and it must be something where they're bending down and saying, right, this is a collective effort, let's go together. Other than that, I haven't a scooby-doo of what they were doing. Do you know what I mean? I don't know whether they're trying to release wind, or they're trying, they're trying to get sick. I, look, I just have no idea what they're trying to do. And them kind of things for me, like if that was Limerick doing it right, I'd, see it's, I'd say you'd see every under-14 team in the country at it. But when you're a team that's not winning and struggling, you're looking for that just that one little thing just to get you going, right? Don't introduce these things. You know, that's the first time we've seen it. Am I am I right in saying that this year? Yeah, well, I've never seen it. First time I've ever seen it. Just don't bother with it. Don't 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 draw whatever classes unnecessary you know, eyes onto you because everyone's looking at it. And I can say it's all over Twitter, it'd be all over, you know, here we are talking in podcasts. There's more podcasts going to go on tomorrow, and I guarantee that you discuss the same topic top topic. Leave that shit aside. That's part of the circus I was telling you. Like for, for me, Murph would say, when players, like players love information, they love being told information, little nuggets and how to improve, right? But when things aren't going well, I didn't love simplicity. Just let's yeah. go 15 or 15, lads. Let's rock on. If we want to bring out a sweep or bring out a turbulent field or grand for puckouts, let's get a bit of movement on a half forward line and let's see where it takes us. And that's the most basic level of game plan you can introduce in each county. Mm, Whereas yeah. here, I think the players didn't have any clue what they were, what they were supposed to be doing. And when you introduce confusion... Right, you don't have time to adapt. You have zero time because the, the opposition team, right, has you analysed and has their own plan, which they've worked well. So Claire had, 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 had obviously watched analysed. They knew they were going pulling, imagine pushing their backs off pokeouts. And Claire just, I thought Claire adapted really well. They adapted really well to the the madness that was around them. And they, you know, I know they only scored was one eleven in the first half, but it was yeah. a good one eleven if that yeah. makes sense. And they had loads of opportunities. They had wides as well. And they were getting into shooting zones far better than Watford. So, but they, and Clare were defending really well. Barron had a goal chance, fair enough. But Clare defended kind of the, if you picture a semicircle around the big poles, they, they defended that area pretty good. Whereas Watford were just like six and sevens lads. So, look, I don't know what it's about, Will. I think they should just forget about that. If I'm in that dressing room today, or sorry, tomorrow evening, truthfully speaking, I'm saying, right, lads, let's row the boat ourselves here now for this last game. Let's just establish a bit of 
I suppose I hate to use the word the cliche pride, but let's just give something for our, our supporters to, to to think about for the year going forward. A small bit of positivity. Just give them the, the smallest bit of positivity and try and sneak out a win. So just through, just through fundamentals, just through basics and through nothing else. Sheer hard work. And if, if you do that, people get behind you. Yeah, um, we will get on to Claire in a moment, but I just was reading Dennis Walsh's piece, uh, which was in The Independent today about uh, where Waterford are at and potentially further down the line where they could be going. And in there, he said the biggest concern for Waterford is not their ongoing mud wrestle with the round robin system in Munster, where they have now just one win in 15 matches, but it's where they're going to be in five years time. And he points out the Waterford's results at underage level over a sustained period of time are alarming. We talked about before, they've not had a win at any level uh, underage or senior this year in championship in hurling or football so far but since 2015 in the hurling they've played 26 minor championship matches and won just five they won the All-Ireland under 21 in 2016 uh, but since then they've won victory in 12 games and that victory was against Kerry he also points out that there's quite a few players here who, even though maybe they're not that old age-wise, they've got a lot of hurling behind them at senior level. Jamie Barnes, 11th season, 10th season for Austin Gleeson, Tyg DeBurka and Stephen Bennett. Desi Hutchinson, Connor Prunty, Connor Gleeson, Colin Dunford, all in their late 20s. And there's been very few players coming through since they played in the 2020 All-Ireland Final. This is almost the same core group as uh, played in the All-Ireland Final that year. I don't know how alarming that is, Murph, but it certainly would indicate that there's not been a conveyor belt of talent coming through from those minor and under-21 teams who've actually pretty much become the senior team over the last few years. Yeah, you know, it's something I hadn't thought about because it's it's amazing for you to say there that it's Austin Gleeson's 10th year. It, it kind of feels like it might be his fifth or sixth. You know, you just kind of have it in your head that he's a young player. And he is, you know, he's, he's young, like, but... Um, at inter, in terms of inter-county age, it's, it's it's pushing on a small bit. But, yeah, you know, you look at other counties and you can kind of say there's ebbs and flows in different years and players are coming in. And look, realistically, Waterford only have to take two or three players from each batch. That's always the rule of thumb. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to have um, teams that are winning all around them. But nevertheless, it makes for stark reading when they're not even winning, you know, consistently games or, or breaking even, you know, that they're they're competing a bit or maybe not getting rid of Munster, but they're winning games. But a few of the stats you read there are just, you know, alarming stuff. Like, it was it out of 12 games, they've won win in under-21 since 2016, was that it? That was against like, Kerry, yeah. Like, that's that's remarkable. That's, yeah, like, that that's tough going. And um, as a county, I suppose, as a county there, you'd be looking like brilliant the likes of Valley Gunner of course competing for Club All-Irelands but that's one very small corner of, of the hurling landscape in Waterford um, and like traditionally like we're, we're neighbours with Waterford down here and we would have always heard like you know of all the teams and they would have over the years have a really good spread really competitive championship it might it may still be competitive down there but maybe the standard might be slipping a small bit if they're not producing the team if they're not producing the players now coming into the, the Waterford team but Considering the talent that they've produced over the last few years, the likes of Jamie Barron and Austin Gleeson and these lads, and, and and they've failed to get over the line at this stage, it's hard to see. Like Waterford have aspirations to go and win All Ireland. Uh, you know, since the mid two thousands, they're saying right, there's potential here. But if that's kind of coming true at the moment in Waterford, it's it, it it reads for tough times for them over the next few years. And um, you know, uh, just before we came on, Skehill mentioned about Clare at the moment, the way mm. kind of. 
a, a rising tide raises all ships like you know that they're competing really well and even in the football as well that they're they're competing you know that does a lot for a county as a whole and the culture within the county mm-hmm. so it's tough for Waterford it is tough because they certainly look at they, they're surrounded really between Cork Tip Kilkenny and even Wexford whenever they have a chance I'm sure <laughs> give it to them in terms of the rivalry but you know it's it, it's a tough position for where they are um, you'd like to think that they'll be competing for many years to come because the hurling Hurling Championship needs Waterford, but if that's the statistics coming through, it looks like it could be a few tough years for Waterford before they get back up competing again. Yeah, I hate hearing the phrase and again reading the phrase in that article that Waterford could do an awfully uh, on this one and end up going into the second flight at some point. That's not going to happen because of... Blasphemy. uh, There you go. (laughs) Because of Munster system, that's not going to happen anyway. But leaving that to one side scale... Clare might well be a bit of inspiration here, though, for Waterford, because it's not that long ago that everything about Clare was negative reading. Like the newspapers for quite some time, the record hadn't been as good at underage level. Mm -hmm. And also there was all the off the pitch stuff. And you kind of thought maybe Clare can fall into a hole. And now here we are in 2023, as you said, just before we went on air. So obviously this is all feeding into each other to a certain extent. They've been effectively living in Semple Stadium for the last few weeks with the amount of finals and semi-finals they've been going to. Their 20s are into the final on Monday as we're recording on Sunday at the moment. Uh, so they'll be playing tomorrow in the under-20 final. Their minors have won uh, the Munster Championship and their senior team are now on the cusp of qualifying, you would think, for the Munster final. So yeah. it can be turned around in a fairly short period of time if the work is concentrated and it goes well. Um, it's amazing what a kick a few teams doing well can have on everyone else's as well yeah like i suppose concentrated is a good word and if you remember back there a couple of years ago i don't have the right the year at mind to hand but there was all the issue with finances and with sponsorship and with facilities and the way underage being treated and their 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 center of excellence etc the state of that and all that now like i i think what came out of that if i'm open to correction was maybe a supporters club that that kind of self-generated finance for all the teams i think am i right there does that sound ring, ring about? I think I am. I think I'm right. There was, there was definitely massive fundraising, yeah. Yeah, the, I think I think a group of, I suppose, club delegates or whatever you call them, business people, they, they coupled together and created this kind of club clear kind of situation. And that just started, I suppose, things kind of going because we heard all the bad stories. And now it's just, and it doesn't take long for this, this wheel to turn. It doesn't take 15 years to say when, when you've got a, a, a county like Clare, Kikini, a Galway. It just takes a couple of years to get the thing back on track and for the right process to be put in place. And when you put a process into a proud county and a good hurling county like Clare, it'll take a year or two. That's all, because people will adapt and they'll flourish. So for the likes of Waterford, that needs to happen because, again, I take everything I see on Twitter with a, with a genuine pinch of salt because you don't know who's behind that screen or behind that profile. But there was like a, an overriding message in an awful lot of the tweets, specifically to Ken McGrath's tweet, if you saw it hmm. yesterday, um, that there was a lot given out about structures, youth policies, uh, school championships, you know, county board, etc. all that. And like, if you, I, I remember saying on off the ball a few years ago when Limerick played Cork, like you need an awful lot of things to go well for you, like four or five things. You need the team to be in sync. You need good sponsorship. You need the clubs to be behind you. You need county boards, assistance, all that. And all that is needed for, for a county to flourish. And it's hard to see how that's in any ways in place in Watford when you look at all their teams. Well, like you said, hurling and football, is that correct? Football also? Yeah, I mean, the, the, football, the football has been going badly for a while for Waterford, but you know, the hurling so. was... But see, the funny thing is, last year, right, when people talked about Waterford, the narrative was so different when there is success with the, the marquee senior team mm. that definitely the narrative seemed to be, well, you know what, Ballygunner have now shown that a Waterford club can go up to Crow Park and win an All-Ireland final. They had just won the league not long after Ballygunner's success 
And then there was that feeling out there that this Waterford team is now primed to go and beat the big teams yeah, in the big finals I, I, I and win the silverware. I, I said myself, right? I said myself that when Bally Gunner came back to Waterford after, after the top championship, it would add a kick to it, okay? That's mm-hmm. the way I genuinely felt because Waterford had a panel of players that, they, that if they got an extra positive kick, it would work. However, to contrast, I don't think if you, if you point to Bally Gunner, you'll say, yeah, the club championships. Like, respectfully speaking, Schlock, Neil and Derry, right? Jerry Hurlan, nowhere near Division 1. You know what I mean? Don't lie in Antrim. You know, they're, they're, we're not up at the very, very top, let's say. You can't, you, so it's hard to point to a club and say, yeah, why aren't we winning when our clubs are winning? You know, Shugal, we have more club championships, I say, than, than a, lot of team, a lot of people, I say, Barrett Kinney, obviously. So it's hard to point towards that evidence to, to kind of make a, uh, to, to produce sound logic. With Watford, I, I just think it's deeper. And I, I get I get what you're saying. When things go well, it paints over the cracks. But when things go bad, the cracks just open and they keep going. And like, like you said earlier, Murphy, you pull a thread and it just gets over. The rip just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And before you know it, you're in a hole that you can't fill in. But the only thing for, the, for counties like that is just you have to strip it all back and just start again. Do you know what I mean? What, what else can you do? You can't pick it up in the middle of, a, of an already bad run. You just have to kind of accept your, your position or your fate at, the, at present time just fucking start again. That's all you can do. And there's loads of good people in Watford. I know plenty of myself down through the years, you know, that, that have, you know, that are genuine hurling people and that will put in ferocious effort. And here I am, I'm not talking, I'm not trying to give a post-mortem or say they're dead yeah. or not, but like me as a hurling supporter and as a, as a, as a, a, a traditionalist, I suppose, at heart, we need Watford. We, can, we cannot let a county as proud as Watford, you know, go further down the ranks. That's what, you just can't. That's why, like, if, you, if there's probably a question you'll ask later on, I'll answer it now. If I wanted to see a county win in Ireland, who would it be? And for me, it's Watford. So why? We, 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 why? Because yeah. I, I, I suppose when I was 14, 15, 16, I saw the, the Paul Flynn's, I saw Seamus Prendergast, you know, all these kind of players, the names of the Ken McGrath, etc. And I was like, I could, they were the guys that kind of I had probably adapted inspiration from. You know, no helmets, Dan Shannon, like, and you're like, geez, these guys are heroes. Really. Then I got the chance to play against them, let's say, through college and county. And like, they were just genuine people. Not a bad word to say behind them. I haven't. There's other countries I could say bad words about, but in terms of Watford, I didn't. I didn't have a bad word. Supporters, no bad word. And I just think there's good people down there, and I'd like to see them in Ireland. Uh, not at the expense of Galway now. Maybe Kenny, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but not, not Galway. Um, like, they're, they're, they're likely started one. I, I, if, I'd say it's back in the 50s, is it will. When did they win that one? Uh, yeah, it went, over, it went over. I think it was 53. 53, was it? So that, that number's ringing in my head. Could be wrong now. Could be wrong. Mm, I so. why, why did I have 59 in my mind at some stage? Um, was it 59 years possibly? I'll tell you what, Skelly, year I thought they were going to win, and you'll hate me for this, I actually thought in 2017 they were going to win the All-Ireland that year. Yeah. I really did. I was at that the semi-final. They were incredible. Yeah. But yeah, they were actually they're against they're Cork. They were, brilliant, yeah. they were savage, yeah. They were savage. But like, what they're missing out from today's team is people that we know. Like I le- I'll never forget Kevin Morden going down like, I don't know the stand side in Thurless and he poked the ball over the bar. He ran so hard. He turned around, lifted his helmet and got sick and kept running. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's a lad now that absolutely put his... I'll never forget Ken McGrath caught a ball. He was going backwards and he caught it over his head the other way. The ball mm. was coming from the other direction. He caught, like, that's the kind of people you're talking about. So, like, that Waterford team of, to, of today from back in 17 was missing Stephen O'Keefe, terribly important person. You know, fives. They're missing Morton. You know, they're missing, like, I mean, they're, they're big people. They're missing... Yeah. Them boys were, again, I won't have, I won't, I don't know, can I keep them at the same level as the Dan Shannons and the Grays, but Jay's, they pushed them close. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yes. And I just, when you look at that team at the minute, they're, they're, they're avoided that. 
did a quick check, fact check, by the way. If that had been the crappy quiz, I would have got a point. 1959, they beat Kilkenny <laughs> after a replay. So. It's impressive. Nice little, nice little plug there, Will. Well done. There you go. Crappy quiz will return at some point if you're a fan of the crossovers <laughs> here between the crappy quiz and the... Why you uh, crappy? Pot. Well, that's usually it's, you know, it's deliberately shit. <laughs> it's not meant to be done well you know the idea is the questions are meant to be a bit messy there's meant to be controversy around the quiz which pretty much happens all the time and therefore you call it the crappy quiz offensive myself now is a bit of a quiz master well yeah. by like all it. means give it a go some week I, I'm all for us having a I remember we had the idea of a football pod against hurling pod quiz at some point I think we can definitely do that there was a couple of people who wanted to me at the weekend who were saying where the hell is the crappy quiz bring it back and I said well send us questions and apparently one of the uh, listeners is going to now send me questions on the back of a cereal box which is the way we like to get them in either that's, on a postcard or a cereal box I think you're, if you're putting that type of the crappy quiz like, it is and I think if that's the commitment the that this person is putting in they can have the quiz back if you turn around at 24 hours notice and say, I've written two rounds of the quiz and I'm going to send them on a cereal box, I'll bring the quiz back just for him. Um, this Friday. <laughs> uh, not, nothing guaranteed. Uh, Claire then, Paul, when we look at their performance, because we've talked mm-hmm. about Waterford an awful lot, I thought it was an efficient performance from Claire overall. Uh, obviously not ideal losing McCarthy to injury. Then TK steps up. 13 points for Tony Kelly. Lovely assist for the Galvin goal. Okay, there were a few sloppy moments um, here and there. Some of the passing out at times at time wasn't quite as sharp as we saw from Clare in the previous game. But still, they will look at this as they went out routine enough victory in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, routine. That was really it. Um, but nevertheless, I would still say that it's good in one way that Brian Lowen can look at it and say it wasn't a clean cut performance in that, you know, we were well polished. And there was mistakes, you know, and there was there was a few frees that were given away from overcarrying at silly times where players were looking up the pitch or players were just trying to take that ball on that small bit further. Um, you know, good few fouls as well. I know we spoke about it against Limerick that their intensity was brilliant uh, and that they were playing on the line on, on, on the border of or treading the line, let's say, of, you know, getting booked and so on, which was appropriate I suppose for the Limerick game well I would say it's appropriate but I thought they gave away maybe too many silly frees that kind of kept Waterford in it at, at periods because um, as you said Waterford scored what was it seven from play was that it? Um, seven so, all game yeah yeah so the frees were really keeping them in it um, uh, so I think it's it's good in one way you know as in Clare are progressing on you know they're they're happy when Waterford bent the knee a small bit Clare kicked on they got their scores they got their goals you know they were clinical when they needed to be but nevertheless, those handling errors and different things, at least Brian Nolan can go back into training now, Monday, Tuesday, whenever, point to those and say, look at lads, these are things we control. We might have got away with it against Waterford. You know, we won't get away with the next day. You know, Cork are coming to town. We need to be really tuned in. It's a good thing to have as well. But nevertheless, I will say that, like, it, it maybe just showed, it felt like a training match at times, the, the game. And that can't be, Clare can only play what's in front of them. You know, they can't be expected to shoot the lights out when really tipping away in third gear at times was enough. So they'll be happy. They'll be happy as well that Tony Kelly, you know, really came back and, and put a mark up and that they didn't need maybe Aidan McCarthy if he did have a little niggly injury, whatever it was, that, you know, he could be rested there. Um, and they have a break. Oh, no, no, sorry, it's next weekend, actually, they're playing, isn't it? Oh, they're at this Sunday, yep. Yeah, sorry, they're this Sunday, uh, Cork, yeah. So, like, it's. I think they're, they'll be happy where they are. They'll, they'll certainly be happy where they are. Um, and there's lots of positives to take from the weekend. But um, nevertheless, like I said, I there was certainly parts of it where I just went, you know what, uh, Claire won't be overly happy with parts of this either in that 
they when when they were being handed the lead at times they were just a little bit too sloppy they gave away like Jamie Barron had a goal opportunity as well like and and, and Lonel pointed out saying look at lads we've coughed up enough goals at this stage in the championship we do need to tidy up with that as well um, but look it was routine it was routine and uh, it's not Clare's fault and look at give them full credit that they went on they won the match and their focus now turns to Cork and um, look at they'll be they'll be buzzing now that it's kind of in their hands to go for a Munster final it's just brilliant Skell, what was your assessment of their display then? Yeah, I think it's very similar. I, I suppose I would have posed a question after the Limerick game about their about their tackling, whether it be style or, or, or efficiency, because like I I I only spoke about principal play at Waterford, and it looks like one of Clare's principles of play is to be ultra aggressive at all opposition, and that leads itself towards to being you know heavily refereed. A lot of influence the referee with regards to free freeze conceded because Limerick they, there was a world of freeze conceded. Um, you consider Burns got five points, Galen. Tom Morrissey all scored a hip of freeze. Same here, you know, the majority of Waterford scored, you know, nine frees came from that also. Um, it's just, look, I won't say it's a dangerous tactic, but look, it's it's, it's working for Clare. Clare are getting through games like, of, of late, you know what I mean? I think it, seems, it looks like they've fixed up the, the potential issues they had at the start of the year in the Tipperary game with regards to goals. And they got through with two points. You know, they introduced uh, Mounsey and Meehan, another couple of points in their subs. They got an impact. They got Tony Kelly flying on the place, although the matchup from Waterford, they couldn't draw a rhyme or reason to it. Um, and just I suppose they're in a good spot I think if you offer them this at the beginning of the year and say right we've got four points we're heading in to our last round of the game against Cork at home in, in QC Park will you take it to qualify yeah they'll, they'll take that considering where where everyone's thought I suppose where my mind was pre-Munster was Limerick are as close to invincible as they get because, because on the back of obviously their, their league final display so things have changed now but again we'll touch on Limerick in a few minutes but I think Clare will be happy they've got through Relatively unscathed. I don't think they've any injuries. Barry McCarthy, who will hopefully be back. Don't actually see, like, don't actually see good players injured. Um, I don't see anyone injured. Sorry. <laughs> not, just good, not just good players. <laughs> I have to save myself. I there, think I know where you're coming from, Skelly. You want, you want the best players to be available so you can watch them. Correct. I want them to showcase their skills so you can watch them, etc. So, I like uh, QZ Park now next week. Going to be an intense environment, like we said earlier on. Uh, Claire kind of riding the crest of a wave. Um, and... Again, there's a lot of support, a lot of yellow on the stands. Cork are travelling well themselves, so that'll be an interesting fixture at the weekend. A very, very tight one. We won't call just yet. No, for sure. Murph, there's a good question which was uh, sent in here by callmax 79 uh, which is the quirks of the way that the fixture list falls. So you're going to have Limerick and Tipperary playing at four o'clock this coming Sunday and the game between Clare and Cork is at two. So as it works out, Clare will have finished four of their games before Limerick and Tipperary play this coming Sunday. And he's asking, is it unfair that by the time that Limerick and Tip take the pitch, Clare will have already played the four games? The point being, I suppose, the way Clare's fixtures have been condensed. Um, it, it's really whatever way you want to view it yourself. Um, like I look at this from a Clare point of view. It's in Clare's hands now that they can be in a Munster final before Limerick have played the third match. That can essentially be it. Like By the time uh, this game is blown up, Cork and Clare at the weekend... And before Limerick start, Clare could be putting themselves one foot in the month. Again, results and different things have to play out. But uh, they also have a break then as well the following week. So that, if there was one thing that people probably maybe agree on was for the semi-final last year against Kilkenny, that maybe the legs and the energy just went out on Clare, that maybe they could have used a bit more of a break, maybe coming through Munster. And did they have a panel? And like, I mean, at times Tony Kelly was playing on when he had a cramp last year. I know he's an exceptional player, but it just points to the fact that maybe there wasn't 
players coming off the bench at that time. I do actually think they have a bit of a stronger panel this year now. A few more players, obviously, after having returned. Um, but if you, you could view it in one way that, oh, they've had a fairly arduous um, trek to this now that they're about to play their fourth game um, and then other teams haven't. But at the same time, if you turned around and said to Claire, right, by the time you've played your third game, going into your last game, you'll have won two, lost one, but one of them wins will be against Limerick and you'll be on top of the table to take your hand off. So that's yeah. like, that's where you want to be. Um, you could view it as a negative, but I'd view it as a positive. Like, clear out in the early match against Cork. They're playing in Ennis. They're playing against Cork. The buzz is going to be savage around Ennis. And they know, and which I think actually does suit Clare as well. Some other teams potentially might crumble under that pressure. I think Clare will love that, knowing that if we go and win this game, that's us. You know, we're true. Who knows what can happen? Other teams now have to sweat it out and see what results. And who knows? Limerick could be out of the championship. Whereas at least Clare know their fate to an extent at this stage. So, um, no, at this stage, I'd view it as, no, it's, it's good. If Clare, on the other hand, you know, were struggling with a few injuries coming into this weekend and, you know, maybe the confidence wasn't there, it's not a good time to be playing. But I think Clare are happy enough, get the next game under the belt, let's keep going and let's watch how the last round of Munster plays out. So I think that's the way they're thinking. It makes for a watering day, Skell, especially when you consider that you'll have Clare against Cork. The potential is there. Say if Cork were to beat Clare, Limerick are then actually playing for their lives at four o'clock when they play against Tipperary. If Tip were to beat Limerick, that would be Limerick out of the championship, which I don't think too many people would have expected to happen um, earlier this year. So there's an awful lot on the line this coming weekend. It makes for two perfect fixtures, doesn't it? Like, oh, it's great for, from a neutral perspective. I think it's 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 prime time TV, if you want to call it that, if it's even on TV. We won't cover that uh, in I, a few I, minutes. I know, I think they are going to be <laughs> like on TV, but go on. Like that one. Go on. Yeah. Did you like that one? That was a nice one, didn't it? <laughs> 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 I, just dropped, I just dropped that one in there. Um, but like, again, if you're doing your permutations at the beginning of the year and you set yourself right, Limerick on round three, are in their championship is jeopardized. Like, you would never say that. You would never say in round three, with, with, with two rounds to go, they could potentially be out of the championship. I'm actually laughing, thinking this is madness. Like, you know, and it's possible. It, look, I know you point to all the positives around Limerick and say they've had three weeks' break. So they, they should be relatively recuperated with Keen Lynch, hopefully. Sean Fins, obviously not. You can imagine the type of training that's gone on in Limerick the last couple of weeks. You can mm-hmm. imagine it's absolute madness and debauchery down there. And they're heading to Turles where Tip are on a good. Sure, on a good flight. And it's after, after the podcast last week, I watched back Cork and Tip again. Just, just. One more time. And mm. I said, Jesus, Tip had two or three chances just to kill that game. Just to kill it, right? And in the, in the, in the periods where they were you know, ascending to four or five, six-point leads, they were class. They were really, really good. And they made Cork look like average, right? Now, Cork came back, don't get me wrong. But I thought that if, if Tip can replicate that, which is difficult to do for a prolonged period, not just patches, Tip put it right up to Limerick. And you can imagine the third crowd, Jesus, they're like, they'll be raptures again. Very similar to Innes, like, they're just... I don't know what it is with Munster counties, they go mad, but you know what I mean? Like, um, Ines on a full day is great. Lo- loads of colour, very loud crowd. You can feel the energy. Thurlis is the same way. So with Limerick come down there, I think it'll be great. And I think the team itself, Limerick, they're used to this. I think they'll, they'll actually relish it. I think John Kiley and Park and Urk will have this, this team and the team itself really looking forward to the challenge. And I think if they came over this game against Tipperary, it has the potential to kickstart the whole year again. But again, remains to be seen. It's a great weekend. Look, thank look, thank. Thank God we're at the situation whereby we don't have dead ducks. Like if you had dead, dead rubber games at this stage, it's just get the championship peter out. So here we are again, round three and a, a lot more to play for. Yeah. 
I mean, Paul, it was something to do with your former teammate Tommy Walsh about this last week, and he was saying that in some ways this is the kick that Limerick might need to reignite everything for the rest of the year. That there's now that element of danger, maybe a few doubts about the way that they played against Clare. They go up against another of their big rivals in Tipperary. You're going into Semple Stadium knowing that you require a win because that's their standard anyway. But also, you know that danger is there going into the game. There is that potential that we see a huge response from Limerick this weekend. Yeah, and I think we will see it. Um, I know people will be saying that, you know, what will it do for Limerick's confidence after losing to Clare and what are we going to see from Limerick? But, like, when you really stand back and have a look at, at Limerick, um, like, it was an outstanding performance from Clare. Limerick have now had three weeks off to focus, and I agree with Tommy completely, that I think this Limerick team, particularly with Kylie and Kinnerk there, have used that time so well They'll be dialed in on this and it'll be the kick up the arse because I guarantee the pride will be dented in Limerick after losing to Clare just because they hold their standards to the level that if they believe, if they perform every day they go out, they shouldn't be bet. Now, whether that's true or not, it doesn't matter. That's what they believe. And they'll have, I'm sure, dissected that game to the last to say, where did we lose this? Where did we lose that? I guarantee John Kiley will be telling them, boys, listen, you were bullied. In the mental stakes, you were bullied. You know, Clare got into your face and you were bullied. And tempering that with Obviously, you're an incredible team and you're brilliant players, but what good is that if you're going to be, go out on the pitch and get pushed around? So I do think we have we see a huge reaction from Limerick. Um, and then I was just looking at it because, again, you know, they're great games and all these things and there's, there's, there's huge scores being put up. But you have to look then as well, like Limerick were beaten by a point the last day and they're facing a Tipperary team who in two games have copped up seven goals as well. It leads you to believe that Limerick can go if they go at Tipperary they can get goals um, now Tipperary down the other end have been shooting lights out as well like they've been getting goals but Limerick have conceded one goal so far in the two games you know so that leads me to say to me that like Tip will have to try and unlock this Limerick defence something that loads of teams have been trying to do over the last while but I think we see a different reaction I think we see Limerick who are extremely aggressive they'll be going for goal Tip are going to find it hard and although Tip have played brilliant and they're playing in Semple Stadium I, I'm going to err on the side here that we're going to see a reaction from Limerick. It was one game, but these boys are going to be back up and going. I think we see Gerard Hegarty on the pitch from the start, Keane Lynch. I think we see Kyle Hayes pushed up the field and running at that tip defence because one thing we have probably agreed on is that if you do get in behind that half-back line and run at them, I mean, Declan Dalton's goal the last day, straight through the middle, I think they're going to load that half-forward line with players, even starting Kyle Hayes in full forward potentially, Get doing that thing of coming out around midfield and then suddenly he's looping back in at the goal, coming running. I think that's what we're going to see from him. Um, and I think we'll be reminded potentially this weekend. I think it's going to be a brilliant game, don't get me wrong. And I think Tipperary are probably the toughest opposition Limerick could face at this moment because Tip will not fear Limerick for a second. I think the exact opposite. I think I think Cal will just have the lads wound up to the last and he'll be building on the fact that this is Thurless. You're flying it at the moment. We don't care who we're playing. We want to play the best teams. And I do think it'll be a brilliant, brilliant game. But when it comes down to the crux of it, you have to go with Limerick for this one. Well, I think you do anyway because you can't write a team off on one performance considering what calibre of players they have in their team. Right, Skell, talk me through the rejig then given that they have to make a change of cornerback because of the injury and again I was listening to Anthony Nash talking about this he thinks this is a prime opportunity for Dan Morrissey to go win back and then you push Hayes up much further forward um, towards goal and you get the best out of Hayes so there is a possibility for a reshuffle here you're John Kiley 
How do you line out your defence for this weekend? Yeah, we, like, if, you, if you remember after, after the Clare game yesterday, when we when we saw Keane Lynch potentially injured and Sean Finn definitely injured, we said it ourselves that the obvious thing here is to obviously reintroduce uh, uh, Mikey Casey, Shavout and Morrissey, you know what I mean? Uh, because yeah, maybe Rich English, etc. And then Shrub sh- sh- Hayes, because mm. I think they're, the back unit is not bad in Limerick. Like Clare beat them a point to say with all the pace they have. But just they need a small bit of energy up front, and it's particularly from 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 eight to twelve. Just a, a small bit. I won't call the word rejuvenation. Just a little kick. You know what I mean? And like, what better way to get a little kick than to introduce a horse like 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 Kyle, like Kyle Hayes, like a gazelle, should I say, with the way he runs, like that? If you remember the the, like the, the type of run we, we've become associated with Kyle Hayes is the the run up the wing, and that that seems to have been neutralised by opposition now at the moment. We didn't see it a lot against Warford, We didn't see it a lot against Clare. So that kind of has been, I suppose, planned against. So now introduce something different whereby teams won't know where he is. I fully agree with Murph. Like I, I picture Kyle Hayes at 11 myself, you know, putting him in, putting him in there and Keenan's dropping off a bit. I think Tipperary are going to try and defend deep. <clears throat> they don't want high balls in topical Alan Flanagan. They don't want to concede goals. You can see goals, goals against Limerick and you're done. There'll be a lot of shots from out the field. And I think he'll, like, he's, like Murph said, I think you'll see Kyle Hayes pop up, not in a specific position, but in all different pockets. I think he'll be told... Just go, go get the ball. Just go get the ball yourself from Lynch and Hegarty uh, and just go get it and do do what you can do. Um, they won't have an overlying level of, of structure, I, I believe. I think they'll just they'll throw off the shackles and go after Tipperary. And I think they'll actually relish the chance. I really do because like that now, they, they've been accustomed to uh, to victories, to winning, obviously, with their record. And their pride has been dented. I agree with that. And now probably they're looking for a response. They themselves, forget about the crowd, forget about nationally with, with, with media or people or, or, or neutrals. I think they themselves would hold themselves to a higher, stand, higher standard. And I think what they produced against Clare by their standards was substandard. So I'd say they're going to come out all guns blazing against Tip. And like Murph said, Cahill will relish that too. Joe, come into our house and try to take something. Do you know what I mean? Let's say we'll put you out the door. <laughs> That's the way he'd be trying to he'd be counting to, uh, he'd be warming up his lads. And like we see, we've seen they can, they can produce aggression and intent, which we saw in the league semi-final, but they couldn't maintain it. And ultimately, Limerick just kept at it and kept at it. They, they took all the punches and hit the knock, knockout punch at the end. So it's it's intriguing and fair. You can you can work up all these different tactics, but ultimately you'll see in the first few minutes it's just fifteen on fifteen going at it and made the best team win. I would like to apologise to every single forward that I've picked in fancy hurling who has become injured by being picked by me. It would seem Jason Ford <laughs> is the latest now. And who, who else? Uh, Killian Doyle Ed, missed the whole championship. Oh, leech, leech in first day. Leech in the first day. Just been. Did you have Ian McCarthy? Oh. No, I think so. I, uh, I think I have him somewhere possible. I drafted Ian McCarthy. I've I've injury after injury, and then it was a three week gap in fancy between that window and this one, and it's just like ah, I, I, the amount of players who've just been injured for that block may yeah. well be coming back or going to be injured the other side of it. So I've so many transfers to make the next time round. It's I don't know. It's going to be just hoping for the best from here. I've um, I've resigned myself to the fact that I'm going to be wearing a fucking Kenny jersey at this roadshow. I was actually started thinking about that now lately. Just make sure you get double XL. Yeah, these fucking types of jerseys. I don't like them. (laughs) (laughs) Get a big one. We can we can get we can have a look into it. I'm sure we can find one. But um, Jason Ford been injured, Murph. How much of a blow is that to Tipperary now? Look, their forward line played quite well against Cork after he went off, but I thought Ford, 007, as he was earlier in the championship when his number was number seven, I thought he was coming into the year playing really, really well. I think it's a massive blow for uh, Tip to him out for four weeks. He's going to miss at least the rest of the Munster Championship. 
It is, yeah. Like there's no denying it. As good as they played against Cork, and you know the team kicked on, and they got great scores. Like Jason Ford is Jason Ford. Like I mean, he just shoots the lights out invariably in most games. And such a consistent player as well. Creates a lot for players around him. Uh, he's just a steady hand in the forward line. And it'd be silly to say that they're not a small bit weaker just because Ford is gone. Like I mean, he's he is their main man in the forwards. You know, so um, it's. Look, uh, I'm, I'm sure, look, in Liam Cal's head, he knows himself, look, you're going to ship injuries during the year. And in fairness to Tipperary, they've brought in a huge amount of players and they seem to have a great confidence regardless of who they're bringing in. The players coming in also seem to have confidence. And not only that, are taking their chances. So I think Liam Cal will just say, look, it, it, it's very unfortunate, but, you know, Jason Ford has carried us manys a day where it's been tough. It's time now for everyone else to shoulder the burden and get in there and make sure that, by the time he comes back and he's fit, that we still have something to play for and that we're, you know, we're going to be in the business end of the championship. So it is unfortunate, but at least it's, you know, it's a four-week injury. Um, because the year is so condensed, other injuries can rule you out and it's, you know, for eight weeks or anything, that's you done, you know. So at least there's potential here that, you know, we're not going to, we, we won't have seen the last of Jason Ford, but it's hard to say that it's not... Um, weakened in Tipperary by losing it is of course it is um, but nevertheless like I said I, I think Tipperary will just go look they seem to have a mentality at the moment whatever we have we have and that's what we're going to go out and play with um, and I, I don't think from a mental point of view I don't think it'll phase them obviously from a hurling point of view you know they have it's, it's a few marks taken off them for skill and for um, having your marquee forward missing but um I, I still think if, if Tipper to win this match, they'll win it without Jason Ford anyway. I think it's just, if, if they tick so many boxes that they're in line to win it, it's because of the panel they have. It's not just because of one player. And does does, uh, does Seamus Cannon start? I don't think so, no. He's enough, does he enough game time, Skell, at this stage? Yeah, like if, if Tip loses game, are they gone? Uh, no, Tip no. got three points on the board. So Tipper in a reasonably strong position. Again, you wonder where... Waterford are at going into the last round when Tipperary played them as well. Like all these things are pending yeah. other results. Like I mean, you have to look at it going like right if Tipperary lose, but then you imagine they're going to beat Waterford. But then you you have to ask, well, what's Clare and Cork going to do? What Limerick and Cork going to do? You can't actually even yeah. comment on one game saying that this is going to be the end of someone's year until it's definitively the end of it. Too many variables, isn't there? Oh, too many. I, I was I was sat down here this afternoon and I said, right, I'm going to write down here the potential outcomes. And I, I actually wrote it down and I didn't do anything because I couldn't decide how to even start to... Because it's there's too many variables. That's the typical day's work for you anyway. And didn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just think, lads, if you're a Tipperary, the way I'd be looking at it as a Tip fan right now, they've gone to... Ennison have gone to Porky Cueve. They've come out with three points, which would be happy enough with that, I think. Mm. Um, circumstance, they probably would have felt they should have won in Porky Cueve, given where they were in the game. But then you play your last two games at Semple Stadium. Your last game is going to be against a Waterford team who have pride aside nothing to play for in the last game. Mm-hmm. And you reckon you're going to get to five points, even if you were to lose to Limerick. I think Tipper in a strong position to qualify, whether that be for the top three or for the Munster final. I was thinking, Scal, you've watched the game twice now between Tip and Cork. Yeah. Why are Tip conceding so many chances? Um, <clears throat> so they're, they're a bit. So at the moment, I say that they, they play quite a, a loose half back line. So like you can mark space or you can mark the man. Like it's very difficult to mark both. And what you see sometimes now is if you've got a deep line half back line with a deep line midfield, you're 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 consigning yourself to mark space and hand over men if that makes sense. So if someone if, if lads if you get the half forwards who go in out midfield and back and forth, they're handing them over consistently and communicating. 
with Tipperary, it just seems a bit more when when you centre all the movement they have in their own forwards in midfield. I just see handovers getting lost. Do you know what I mean? And so they they become very porous. So what that happens is they're, they're half forward, or half back, and then they're shoving up a bit, probably a touch high. Balls getting behind them, pace is getting through them. If you remember, um, like the clear goals, they were very similar. So three runs, the, the two Rogers goals in McCarthy runs. Dalton, Robbie Flynn, run, run, run. And when you attack them in pace in the half back line, they just, I just don't think they have the pace to get back. Fabulous hurlers with ball in hand. Do not get me wrong, but we get them going back to their own goals and ask Ronan Maher to run backwards. Ask James Kindy. It's just to run after Aidan McCarthy, to run after Robbie O'Flynn. They just don't have that bit, that extra bit of pace. You know what I mean? No, not a lot of teams do. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look at Clare, Clare pro- provide excellent coverage to John Connell, I think. Like, how often do you see, like, Malone and Ryan come in and John Fitzgerald, uh, David Mack, etc. Like, Fitzgerald, all providing cover in there. Same with Declan Hannon. Declan Hannon is no slouch by no means, but it's very rare you see him get, get turned and ran straight ahead. There's always cover there for him. And just think Tipper a small bit open at the minute. Maybe it's because the guys they have up in field are great shooters and some great attackers, but just probably a bit new to the whole setup in terms of systematic defending against top level opposition. Um, Paul, we had a few people sending questions about play acting, simulation, trying to get your opponent booked, whatever way you want to view this. Uh, quite a few came in about this, particularly off the back of um, the game between Clare and Waterford uh, before we step away from it. Um, is it something that it needs to be clamped down upon? Because we've seen this happen a bit during the championship already this year, and we had a few, particularly when Hayes hit the ground at the weekend, where there's a certain amount of trying to get your opponent into the bush. Stop. Stop it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that was that was the big one. Like, I mean, other ones, you know, you see it happen during the game, and you kind of you forget about it nearly five minutes later. But that was. Uh, that was a different level now, that stuff. Like, you know, a bit of a flick at the face guard and he hits the deck. And I think he kind of knew it himself because he got up fairly quick afterwards. I think he realised, oh, wait, oh, no, that wasn't much. Oh, yeah. There's cameras here that will show that that actually wasn't much of a slap. Like, if you were playing a club match or something, right, Grand, you know, there's not 20 cameras on you. Not even Grand, but how did he think he was going to get away with that? Like, you know, um, but it is. Like, you see, you do see simulation and you do see players now you know, trying to get lads sent off. And that's that's the problem, is to trying to get people sent off, like trying to, I suppose, get the referee to make a, make a hard decision. I know, I know there's, it, it nearly crosses over with another conversation, like, you know, as in lads traditionally on a GA pitch would tell a fella to stay down if he's after getting a serious knock. But that's if you're after getting a serious knock, like, you know, and you've deserved a fair wallop and you're waiting to see which a man's going to get. But this crack where lads are in scuffles, like even, you know, I know some people would argue with Caelan Lines, like it was a yellow card when he went stupidly running in on David Fitzgerald and hit him in the mm. shoulder. Like there was no need for that. Um, but like to say that that was really going to knock over David Fitzgerald, he's a big man. Um, like again, you'd have to put the question mark there, but it is creeping in. There's no point in saying it's not. It definitely is creeping in. But we've seen it other years as well. Like we've seen it. You go back five, six years ago and stuff, and uh, when the face guard first came in, that it was straight red. Jesus, you you breed near a fella's face guard, and they were hitting the deck at time. In, you know, certain players were doing it. So, um, but particularly, yeah, we are seeing it at the moment um, where lads are, you know, very faint things. And I do agree that. The, I do think something has to be done retrospectively that it's unsportsmanlike behaviour, if that's what you want to call it, that retrospectively you can punish a player for that because it'll knock it out of them. But personally, I think managers should be knocking lads out of it, saying like that's that's not what we're about, like hitting the deck and to try and get a fella sent off. We either win the game fair and square, get out there and you know hurl properly, hurl bravely, but don't don't be hitting the deck and have you know our own fans looking at you rolling around on the ground, even though nothing happened yet. Scale, you had a strong reaction. Uh, you said it makes you sick. 
See, it does, because I suppose I've, I've had this debate with a couple of soccer people um, locally, and the soccer people will tell me, yes, they don't quite agree with it, but it adds to the spectacle. So it's, it's nearly accepted in soccer at the moment. Imagine. That, that's, sure. that's the logic behind it. It adds to the spectacle. So you see all the, whether they be, you know, Mediterranean players, South American players, etc. You know, and plenty of English players, don't get me wrong, uh, the slightest touch and down they go. And they say it's all part of, of soccer. It's all part of the spectacle and what you see. But in our, in our sports, where it's a high contact you know, high octane, intense, um, you know, bravado type, type game. Like, you don't, I don't want to see that. Like, that's a waste of time, in my opinion. Get up, like, like Rory Hayes and Jeff two top class hurlers. You do not need to do that. You're already in ascendancy. You're winning well. You've got loads of quality in your team to, to overcome Watford. No need to do that. So it actually, it actually, like, it belittles your standing a small bit, you know. And I just find it very hard to, to kind of get the thought process of what, what are they thinking? And, and the only way I can think is they're trying to fool the referee into getting someone sent off. That's really it. Yeah. Yeah. They're not hurt, so they're, only, they're, not, they're not fooling their, their, their medical team. They're not fooling their teammates. They're fooling the ref, they're, they're attempting to fool the referee in order to get an opposition player sent off. And I can't agree with that. Do you know what I mean? If you, if you want to go toe-to-toe and have at it right, then you, then you go down grand. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But when you, when you have such a, a light context trying to get a player sent off, not for me. Yeah. Um, Skell, I want to ask you about this one because a few people messaged me during the Leinster minor hurling final. So I'll admit I was actually traveling at the time back from work while the final was on. Then I had a look at some of the instances afterwards because even people had clipped them up. Again, one of your Galway defenders was coming out, gets hit with a fairly high tackle. Uh, the awfully under 20 goalkeeper took a fairly high tackle mm-hmm. uh, during the week two. We were talking about high tackles last week. It seems these are just continuing on, Skell. Yeah, like I suppose... Um I said, my wife texted me after the game. She said, I was on TV five yards on the pitch giving out <laughs> at one stage. Not, not <laughs> surprised first, about that. But anyway. Not new, but what I was doing at that stage was, uh, there was probably, at that stage, it was the fourth high tackle that I'd seen. And probably the instant that you see across um, social media was about on a, what's the name of the page? Hurler on the Ditch was the name of the page. And it's my, it's my own club mate, Dunica. So he, he receives the ball from a high free. Uh, he's being tackled by one fella and then the Kikini forward just comes in, turns, there's no hurl, there's no tackle and he shoulders him straight in the head. You know, yes. like that was a sick attack and that could have been seriously, seriously, um, you know, that could have been a bad instance, let's say, health-wise. But thankfully, he's all right. And that, for me, is an absolute straight rate. It's without doubt. I mean, you see it back, you actually, your stomach kind of goes, Jesus, that, that's that's a rate. And just about a yellow. Like, that can't happen. You know what I mean? It can't happen. Regardless if it's an underage game, youth, these are kids, I get that. But it's monkey see, monkey do. The kids see it in senior games. So, like, in all this filters down, this is what we were talking about previously, last week, or the week, the week, the week before if you see that it's okay for who was it last week Ron Maher to do it it's okay for Ron Maher mm. it's okay for Shannon Flanagan the kids are going to do it they're going to do it because they say I get away with it and signs are on they're getting away with it so, so like it needs to be cracked down and I don't know what, what we do about it I you know at the time I could I was probably 80 yards away from it and I saw it clear as day clear as day I could, I could see it he's after getting more down straight in the chin um, and he's down you know in a concussion, concussion protocol had to take him off at halftime. You know, that, that can't happen to kids or any, any level. So the only way I said last week, it's a management directive. It has to come from top down and it has to come all the way down along before something, something uh, so before people change because otherwise you could have a, a detrimental instant, you know, in either Hurler or Mogi. Why is it happening, Murph? Is it as simple as lads have been watching these big hits at senior level and are now going in to try and level someone? But it seems in the last few weeks particularly, the amount of times the players are coming reasonably frontal with their shoulder out and they're catching their opponent either high in the chest or in some cases hitting them low on the chin and knocking their helmet off. Like, there's been quite a few of these in the last few weeks. Why is it happening now? 
Um, hard to say specifically now why it's happening, but um, definitely, I think part of the reason is that players know they're, you're not really going to get punished. Like, you might get a yellow card, but it's kind of the old saying in hurling, like, you know, if you're going to get booked, you might as well get booked for at least laying a mark on them. Like, that's not to say we all go out try and do head-high tackles, but if a player knows that they're going to go in and try and hit a lad of shoulder, but knows that if he misses, he's not going to really get punished for missing the target, but hitting a lad in the head, I think that's kind of a lot of what we're seeing, that lads are going in hard to try and hit someone, a player might change their body position and bang, you get smacked in the head. Now, it's a case-by-case case thing. You can't say that that works for every case. But I just think it's, it comes back to the, just the one line that players know they're not going to get punished. Whereas if you look at it again, we, we can only compare it with the likes of rugby, where rugby, it looks at, you know, did a player do everything they possibly could to not try and hit somebody in the head? That's basically the way, you know, to pose it in rugby. And if it was a case where a player went in, like even, it could also be a case where, a player runs in and the player that he's tackling or she's tackling goes in and changes their body position and it's not your fault anymore. You know, it just happened to be that the player in possession changed the body position and they mitigate for that in, you know, they have that in rugby to see was there, but in, in Ireland there's nothing. In Ireland it's just, unless it's literally, like, I mean, we played the 2015 final scale. We played, Johnny Cohen came out on Colin Finley, hurled around the neck, clotheslined him, Colin Finley hit the deck, yellow card. You tell yourself straight after the game, straight red. He, yeah. said, he hands up, he said, but he, that was a straight red. He doesn't know how. To this day, he'll tell you. Yeah. And it's not, this is it. And it's not about like, you know, it's not that we wanted to go, oh, Johnny Cohen should be sent off there. But you're like, Colin Fenny's feet came off the ground with a hurl around the neck. Like, it just happened, you know. And you're just there going, nothing has changed since that. Like, absolutely nothing. Bar, let's say, the one in the all Ireland final where James Owens decides to put it in against Richie Hogan. But after that, like, nearly name uh, a high tackle that's been a red card in Intercounty Hurling. I can't. I can't think of one. I can't think of one in club hurling for even playing matches over the last while. Um, so that, like Scale says, that all trickles down into underage hurling. You know, lads will take raps in the head, but it's just the case that we've we've not put emphasis on this, so we're not going to send lads off. And also, we've not put any structure in terms of giving guidance to referees to say, well, look, at, if there is a factor that, for example, a player slipped and there's nothing someone could do, the on-rushing player couldn't do, fine. There's there's nothing around it at the moment. And if there is if there is rules around it, of course there's rules around high tackles. It's definitely not being enforced. Like, we're losing our mind about hand passes and we're losing our mind about, you know, the, the extra arm in and giving out about Limerick or whatever. But we're not, like, there's players going out there getting concussions and we're not hmm. really doing a whole lot about it. Do you think though that like the GA are just they just operate on a too general basis? So like I know we put an awful lot of weight on the uh, emphasis on the referees report. So if it's not contained in the referees report, sometimes the GA will bypass it. But do you not think to say that it's the onus on the GA to look at all these incidents and go right? Let's do like like rugby do and cite you. You know let's 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 mm-hmm. cite you. Let's bring you mm-hmm. to a hearing. Let's show you the incident and then you you try and explain what your mitigations were or what yeah. the mitigation was. And if it's not a good enough explanation. Yeah. You're categorized into the red card offense against category. Yeah. So like, that's why I, I think I, I find it amazing that that Seamus Flanagan wasn't brought up in front of committee. And if you ask him himself, he'll tell you the same thing, I bet you. Or how, mm-hmm. how wrong a matter wasn't, etc. You know, so yeah. unless unless they're shown at, at top level to be punishing the top players at senior level, it'll go down to twenties, it'll go down to minors, and I'm telling you, it'll go down to fifteens, fourteens, etc. Someone's going to get like boasted. That's that's the thing that's why I hate to see teeth lost or neck broken. I don't know. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's a detrimental issue if you ask me. So it needs to come from the top. 
I would say next time around at Abbottstown when the referees meet, this is definitely going to be discussed. It's one of those where I'd say the referee assessors will say this is something to watch out for over the next few rounds because there's just been so many high-profile ones and the fact it was on the Sunday game last week I think will very much have uh, put it in the minds of the referees assessors. The other thing I was wondering about, Skell, is there actually any great benefit in landing a huge hit anyway? Because I would have thought, right, so a player's coming out in traffic are you not better off to just get into a tackling position and make it difficult for them to get out and they might possibly overcarry? What benefit are you going to get, aside from maybe a G-up of adrenaline, if you actually drop a player onto his back with a really heavy hit there? Well, I, th- I think probably if you if you get a, a big hit on a player, a good a good challenge to say whereby you meet him shoulder to shoulder, you potentially knock him over, all you do is you get a, a, moment, a moment of adrenaline in the crowd, in your team, and it's kind of like a bit of a G-up as you said yourself. That's really the extent of it. It's not a turnover. You're not, you're not going to turn over the ball. He probably most likely still has the ball in his hands. You know, it's not, you know, a, a, an opportunity to score. Still has the ball in his hands, etc. So it's, that's really it. You know, it's probably a signal. It's a signal of intent. You know, it's a signal of aggression. Our team is aggressive. Our team is going to be hard, physical, etc. You're trying to portray all these, these, these characteristics or traits in a team. And that's the, that's the extent of it. Like, I, I can think of two hits myself that come to mind. I can think of the Park Maher hit on Joe in 2016 during the semi-final mm. Tipperary crowd went nuts right and Joe ultimately got, got I think did he get concussed or to go off that day uh, maybe, a, maybe it was the wrong year 16 then the following year Gareth McInerney does it to Parik Maher and it was near like revenge and a Galway crowd went fucking nuts again and it created just a bit of like the whole team behind it that was it that went last about 30 seconds <laughs> do you know what I mean 30 seconds and that was gone it was game over it was like business as usual so yeah, I, I get it. I think it's 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 just it's built up adrenaline, will built up aggression. You know, it's how you get so psyched for a game. You're so physically aggressive. There's there's fire in the mind, fire in the belly, and it's just a way to showcase it. That's really it. From a tactical or tactical perspective, there is none. Yeah, I just wonder, Murph, if you in for one of those big hits as well, and you line someone up and they sidestep you, they can make an absolute fool out of you. While if you would actually just stood them up for an actual tackle, chances are they're going to get caught in traffic. Like you could approach this in lots of different ways. Again, that has to be case by case. So, for example, if 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 uh, let's say you're forward, the back is coming out, you have to look at first of all if you have to jump on the back where the back doesn't know you're kind of coming and you can hit him a good shoulder. Happy days because not only that, but it kind of kill. It might if it's early parts of the match, it might actually kill his confidence a small bit. Thinking, geez, these lads are up in our face. They're aggressive. You know, kind of maybe puts a bit of doubt in his mind. But also then as well, if you get into a position where you might just want to get into a good tackling position depending on the forward some forwards are quite good at manufacturing freeze out of or backs or whoever out freeze if you get in too close to them get in around them and makes it hard for a referee and you get a free out so you kind of have to judge it in terms of can you keep that small bit of separation if you're going in for a tackle right I'm not going to lay a shoulder on him but does he have momentum coming out now where regardless what I do unless I hit him or stand up to him he's going to pass me out there's loads of different scenarios there so it's it's I'd agree with you though, like because if you go flying in on, a, on someone and he just sidesteps and you're gone out, you look stupid. And it's there's nothing worse as well. Like when a lot of teams now train their forwards to go right. Let's say there's a sharp hook out coming. You picture there's a box with the corner back. Don't let him out of that box. Like don't be thinking the bigger picture of oh if he goes past me it's fine because there's a half forward coming in and you know no it should be defense should be starting up with the forwards and that keep them inside that box. So then you just have to use the tools at your disposal. You're going to hit him a shoulder. Shoulder is risky because like that if you miss it he's gone out past you. So then maybe you do stand him up without fouling him. So it's really it's 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 
it's one tool to be used and but used well it can win a serious mental battle as well like you know at a really important parts of the game a good shoulder can sway momentum at times as well but uh not, it's not the thing where you'd go out and you'd have all 15 players running and trying to nail lads with shoulders because that won't work either Murph you can take Sean O'Leake's question as well which we already have Scal's answer which is Waterford and what county other than your own would you like to win in All-Ireland uh, you're nestled very near to other counties who you might necessarily want to pick here so yeah. who are you picking as the county you'd like to win I know the answer you know the answer oh because I don't even really know the answer I don't think uh, so you know the answer and I don't know the answer he knows answer. you better than you know yourself I don't, I don't doubt him actually yeah, we're, we're whatsapping quite a lot now so I, <laughs> I think he knows what makes me tick I, I went around the houses on this one because uh, I was there going right first off you know on tip to it so that's grand that's one down mm-hmm. and then you're there going right who else and like I think nearly every team over the years when I've been playing I was like oh Jesus don't let them win the All-Ireland and so I probably said it about everyone the people in South Kilkenny wouldn't forgive me if I said Watford Uh I do like a lot of the Waterford players, though. I actually, I, I know quite a few of them. And like the likes of, I would have loved to have seen Stephen O'Keefe, for example, win, win an All-Ireland. Like, he's great fella, great player. Kevin Moore, another fella. You know, uh, and even going back further, I would have loved to, uh, I would love to see them in. The likes of Kilkenny, we don't have a savage rivalry with the likes of Clare or somebody, you know. <laughs> so, Clare, yeah, look, it's not too long ago, 10 years since they won one. Uh, look, I suppose I would have to say Waterford in this case because... Who are you going to say, Scal? You're after saying a Antrim. <laughs> well, I would like to see Antrim in All-Ireland. I'd like to see Carlo in All-Ireland. I'd like to see all those things in All-Ireland. I thought you'd say it never got away because of me. I thought you'd go, not, nobody a monster. <laughs> well, I think the, yeah. well, I think the old thing of like, let's say, like you've, you've, you've won All-Irelands recently and you, you have a history of winning them. Like Watford are the, the outlier there, really. You know, Cork in their palm tree. We five. <laughs> Yeah, but (laughs) But you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Um, Just say it. (laughs) But then, like when I go back and I think to the years I was going up in Hill 16 as a teenager and stuff, and like it was Kilkenny versus Cork, and like you hated the Cork fans because when they were going well, like there's no more confident county than Cork when they're hurling well. Like I mean, it nearly kills you to say it. Uh, But there's rivalry like Wexford. I couldn't. I have great friends from Wexford, but yeah, Jesus, like they they'd they still sold into us about '96. Like you know, I work with a lot of Wexford lads, and you know, 96. the Leinster final where we lost to them, they sold into us. So I think I'm scared from every team. I think I wouldn't mind Dublin one winning one as well, maybe. Um, yeah, I'll go with Watford. I go with Watford because I think, in fairness, a lot of those lads off the pitch as well are sound. Uh, and I apologise to all the people in South Kilkenny also. That's true, us. Jesus. Yeah. That's fair enough. I, I think I'd go for. I think I would have went Wexford. I was hoping Wexford were going to win it in 2019. The answer would have been Limerick before 2018. They've had enough success mm. now. I'm not going to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need any help from me. Uh, <laughs> I want to see Limerick win an Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> Such a boring answer. <laughs> I want to see Man City win the Premiership. That's what I want yeah. to see. <laughs> uh, around, up until about 2018, I would have been more than happy for Limerick to end their drought and the miserable run they had in finals. Now you've won enough for a while. Uh, I think, yeah, I think Wexford would probably be my pick on this one. But again, I wouldn't be against Dublin or Antrim or someone who hasn't won for a long, long time or hasn't won before winning one. Uh, yeah. Not now, to be fair, be. if Wexford won one, you'd knock there'd be some material out of that because like Did they write songs they tumble the place and like Wexford lads are a good crack so 
in fairness, if Wexford, they'd no. probably pull down the Hogan stand if they won it, like. It'd just be, <laughs> it'd be carnage. They'd have to rebuild Grove Park if Wexford won it. <laughs> um, Scale, the best name on Instagram returned to our embrace this week as well, Showtime Murph, who has asked, is the sweeper now becoming obsolete in hurling? Um, I think it is. Um, I suppose when, when hurling was like a, a full forward line dominated game where you're looking for deliveries uh, in, which is still are to an extent, sweepers were, were relevant, if that makes sense. Whereas now there's an awful lot more running, you know, ca- carrying the ball through, like penetrating a defence, you could say, for oncoming runners and whatnot and bypassing a sweeper, either going over them or around them. So I haven't seen a team adopted a sweeper per se. Every team, though, every team has a deep line centre back. And then they hand over to a midfielder. And then when they attack, they push up again. So it's when it's it's like teams that have been systematically designed now whereby John Conlon, Declan Hallen, even Johnny Burkle say can sit back, Callum Lyons, your six can sit back when they're when they're defending and they have cover to come back into the middle. As soon as the ball turns over, everyone pushes up, they go back to North Star's formation. I think just think I think when they adopt that system, it's the best method to having more defenders, and then when you can turn them over to have uh, the same level of attackers, as opposed to having a, a man down, if you like, when you're up, when you adopt a sweeper. So, I'd say the sweeper to uh, a structural sweeper, yes, it's it's gone. Uh, bar the opportunity, bar the, the 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 time you see, let's say, massive goals and talent. Like if you if you had a, a Limerick play at Westmead, to be honest, that's when they adopt a sweeper. But beyond that, amongst the top two counties, if you, if you know what I mean, uh, yeah, not to be seen. All right, so that is our lot for the main pod for this week. But stay tuned, plenty more content coming from the Hurling Pod throughout the week. On Monday night, 10 p.m. on YouTube, you can watch the full video version of this week's podcast. We've then got a bonus pod, which is the much-anticipated Skell Draft. He's going to do three full rounds for the top 11 teams in the country. So picking where he thinks the top 33 players would go in a hypothetical draft. He'll explain it all. Antrim get first pick. Limerick at last pick in each round. It's based on the standings from the end of last season's championship. So it's about 45 minutes to an hour of that. We also look forward to the games in the Leinster Championship this coming weekend. I look at the rest of the questions and comments which came from Instagram and from YouTube in the week past. We're going to be live for the next two Sundays at 8pm both of the next two Sundays because we've got the conclusions of both the Leinster and Munster Hurling Championship round robin. So we will be going live on the Off The Ball social channels. YouTube probably the best place to go if you want to get your comments in the live chat. So we'll be live for the next two Sundays in May at 8pm. So come and join us. The pod will come out as normal then on Sunday night in both of those probably around about 10 p.m. you'll be able to pick them up we'll most likely have bonus pods those weeks as well but bonus pod coming up this week it's scales draft for the hurling teams coming at 10 a.m. on wednesday so stay tuned for that exclusive to the hurling pod feed which is the best place to pick up the podcast as well we'll speak to you then